The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who, and today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, The Girl Who Died. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Father Corey couldn't be with us today, but uh, we'll uh, manage without him this time. Uh, folks, be sure to uh, write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can write reviews and share the podcast with your friends. That helps us grow this great community of listeners. Uh, another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy will be Let's Science. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. So we are talking about this 12th Doctor story called The Girl Who Died. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? This week, the 12th Doctor and Clara land in the Middle Ages and are captured by Vikings. When they get to their village, the Doctor pretends to be Odin, only for another Odin to show up as a vision in the sky. The other Odin promises all the best warriors in the village that they will feast with him in Valhalla and beams them up. He also beams up Clara and a young woman named Ashildur who have parts of the Doctor's broken sonic sunglasses. On board his ship, False Odin kills all the warriors to extract their adrenaline and testosterone, which he drinks. Based on the technology in the sonic sunglasses, Clara almost convinces him to leave, but Ashildur is aghast at his slaughter of the warriors and declares war on him in the name of her village. False Odin agrees and sets the time for battle for the next day, ten of his warriors versus all of her village, and he beams Clara and Ashildur back. The Doctor has identified False Odin's species as the Mire, one of the mightiest warrior races. He tells the villagers to run and hide for a week, but they won't. Reluctantly, the Doctor decides to stay and train them in battle. He knows it's hopeless, but at least they will all die with Viking honor. Clara convinces him that this isn't enough, and he needs to start thinking about how to win. Eventually, the Doctor comes up with a plan using electric eels to shock the Meyer warriors and using one of their helmets to broadcast false imagery into their heads. Ashildur is a good storyteller, so the Doctor puts the Meyer helmet on her and she broadcasts the image of them being attacked by a dragon into the Meyer helmet network. This forces them to flee except for False Odin. Once he's alone, the Doctor reveals the deception to False Odin, including how the dragon image was based on a puppet and he now has hilarious video of them being intimidated by a puppet. He tells False Odin to leave and never come back unless he wants the video revealed to the galaxy. Afterwards, it turns out that using the helmet killed a shoulder, but the doctor decides to save her, and using a Meyer medical kit, he makes her functionally immortal. And we close the episode with the doctor wondering if he's made a terrible mistake by giving her immortality. Spoiler, sweetie, the doctor has made a terrible mistake. The end. The end, yes. Um, so uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting explanation of itself. Um, just to kind of point out for fans of Game of Thrones, the big guest star here is Maisie Williams as Shilder. Yeah, so, so this this is not my favorite episode by mm -hmm. a long shot. 
Um, I have never watched Game of Thrones. I understand some of it is good. Some of it is not family friendly and some of yeah. it is supposed M- to be lame. Much of it. Is um, family yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know this actress. This stunt casting completely falls flat for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any investment in this character. She's very, um, she's she's the big problem in this episode if she kept her mouth shut clara would have saved the day in act in act two yeah and so um she's the cause of the problem here she's not a magically compelling character and having this episode wrapped up around her just because she's famous on another show unless you're a fan of her in that other show it's like so what this is this is very unimpressive I mean, Doctor Who, even like in the 12th Doctor's time, they've done a lot of stunt casting. They've brought in people who are famous and other things. I remember the mm-hmm. uh, throw a mummy from the train, the mummy from the train and that sort of stuff. Or what's it called? The, yeah. M- the mummy, mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah, I, always, I always have the funny uh, title in my head. Um, mm-hmm. But they had, a you know, a famed, a famed comic actor there and and it worked, even if I didn't know who the guy was. But here, if I remove my knowledge of Maisie Williams She's just kind of mesh, she's kind of annoying <laughs> in a sense. Uh, yeah. Because the character just, just kind of stands out. And and because I know the character from, a, you know, another show, I, it kind of drags a little bit of the baggage with her because mm-hmm. I've only, she's only ever done one other big thing, as far as I know, uh, that I'm aware of. And so that character kind of character identity kind of drags along with the, the actress and kind of lands in the middle of this, and it just it just doesn't. And I I think you're right. It just doesn't. There's something wrong, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can put my finger on it completely, but there's something wrong in that. One sign of that may be the fact that if you look, uh, this episode has a co-writing credit. It's mm-hmm. co-written by um, some some first guy, and then Stephen Moffat. Now, that could be because a shoulder is going to be a recurring character who's going to mm-hmm. pop up in at least two more episodes this season. And so maybe Stephen Moffat, you know, did a bunch of work on this just to set that up. But also co-writing credits with the showrunner frequently means this script had problems and the showrunner had to step in to try to fix it. So it could it could be a sign that the episode was even worse when they got the script and Stephen Moffat served as script doctor and did so much work that it went beyond his normal role as a producer with his producer edit, and so he had to be given screenwriting credit. I suppose that's possible. I, feel, I kind of feel like the whole like a Shilder's future stuff, plus the Doctor's face stuff, which we'll get to you know, in a minute, mm-hmm. um, that felt like Moffat. Uh, yeah, that had his fingerprints all over both of those things. Yeah, um, I would. I was going to say the, the 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 fingerprints of Moffat is that the shoulder doesn't die, like the the the, the dying fake out. That's a that's a uh, thing that he do, keeps doing. I think that's somewhat overblown. Lots of people do that, and so mm-hmm. and and the the shoulder death comes out of nowhere. It is completely right. not set up. The, b- before the doctor puts the helmet on her, there is no clue that this helmet is going to be fatal to her. 
there's absolutely zero setup for that. And then and there's there continues to be no setup until they pull the helmet off of her, and all of a sudden, oh no, she's dead, and this just comes out of nowhere. So it so it, it's it, I think that's a flaw in the writing. Also, loads of people save somebody at the last minute to give us a happy ending, but so I don't think that's unique to Stephen Moffat. Well, I feel like the 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 fact that it comes out of nowhere was him kind of at, that might be where he added in his that's his bit. Like you know, it, the the story probably ended some you know originally with, and I'm just speculating, but with a shoulder doing the puppet thing and the Meyer go away and we're all happy and yay. And because they wanted to do this further stuff with this character down the road in these other episodes, they added in this whole bit about the doctor self identity and, uh, you know, what happens to a shoulder, her death, her resurrection and all that stuff. And that, that to me kind of feels like mm-hmm. that was the, that was imposed on this story. Yeah. And, and, it was. and that would have been imposed by probably by the showrunner. Oh, of course, by Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. All that stuff is him. Um, I just I just don't think that I, I think we rag on him a little too much when it comes to his not killing people. Yeah, I I think it's a constant flaw in his writing is because it's because mm. it eventually sucks the drama out of death because you don't believe it. You know, and it's just like so that when it actually occurs, you're like, yeah, but they're not really dead. They'll come back at some point. And and if you constantly go to that well, I think it's I think it's a flaw if you constantly go to the well of the death fake out. And welcome to comic books and superhero movies, Dom. It's the 21st century. <laughs> Nobody's dead unless the body sits there on camera for six minutes. And even then, there are ways to bring them back. This is kind of why I'm a little bit down on that stuff these days myself so <laughs> um so the so we have this story of vikings which is it does this oh, terrible it's, in, it's incredibly historically inaccurate when it comes yep. to vikings yes which is also something i i don't like about it the but horned for, helmets for, for a for start instance. the horned helmets <laughs> vikings never wore helmets with horns on them that yep. is something that comes from 19th century opera if i'm not mistaken and it, it it's just incredibly historically inaccurate and we've actually had ser- you know historically accurate tv series is about vikings now mm. so the audience knows they didn't wear those things and why you would want to stick all these actors in horned helmets is beyond me yeah i mean it's just sort of comedic i mean it was it was that yeah i mean cuz the the tv show vikings was airing as this was on and i don't know that that was that's especially accurate but it's certainly more accurate than this ever was and and I, the idea that the that these adult males living in the viking village would not have any you know warrior capability i mean from my understanding and it's it's limited but pretty much like every adult male who is healthy whether he was a farmer or a blacksmith, was also a potentially a Viking raider. Well, I, that I can't speak to. That may or may not be true. But there's definitely a, a, a problem with the Viking identity in mm-hmm. this, which is that – and I don't have a problem with a – lot, a lot of the villagers are just not gung-ho warriors. That's fine. Um, but – they won't identify themselves as Vikings. 
Viking was a job. Yeah. It was it was a it was um the term means something like raider or pirate. And so the doctor's giving us his his just go and hide for a week speech, which is eminently sensible. You know, just if if you know they're going to come and try to stomp your village, well, leave and wait a while and come back and see if the village is still there. And if it is, you can resume your life. And if it's not, then you can rebuild it. But that's an eminently sensible plan. And the 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 remaining men of the village rebel and reject that solution. And one of them yells. The doctor has just pointed out that they are farmers and fishermen and web designers, and he says, maybe not that last one. And one of them says, we are Vikings! And it's like, okay, you're a farmer or a fisherman, and you just declared that you are that you as a group are pirates. This is not dialogue that would happen in the real world. The Vikings right. did not, the culture the Vikings came from did not identify themselves as Vikings any more than our culture, which has cab drivers, identifies itself as we are cab drivers, <laughs> even if you're a web designer. You know, it, just, right. it there's a logical disconnect there. Um, they referred to them, the settlers in, like, for example, England, who came from Scandinavia, would refer to themselves as Ostmen, meaning men from the east. They also were Scandinavia's in the north, so they were called Norsemen and Norse, and on the Danish peninsula they were called Danes. But they didn't call themselves Vikings. That's just wrong, right? More, it's it's more, you know, modern imposition. The horn helmets, the name, the yeah, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, and that kind of, I mean, it it's clearly they're going for a comedic vibe in this one, and then mm-hmm. having the the drama at the end. But you know, clearly we wanted to see the, um, the doctor in uh, a situation, sort of like I'm trying to think of. Um, what was the the old Western where they had – I mean, they've done this several times in Doctor Who, frankly, the modern Who, where the doctor shows up in a town and he has to train them to fight. I mean – Seven the, Samurai. The seven – that's right. That's the one I was reaching for. So, yeah, like you have this uh, – and I think they did that in a town called Mercy too, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Which and, is another and, really horrible episode with some stunt casting since it has – what's his name from Stargate in it? Right. Exactly. So it's just – it's not – I don't know. It. I mean, it's, it's there's some funny bits, but it just it kind of takes the story down a, a bit as overall. Um, so, also you know, cut even cutting the Meyer some slack for the fact that they're really fish aliens. Watching False Odin drink a um, a vial of adrenaline and testosterone is just icky. Yeah, and that's not how. If you need extra adrenaline and testosterone as a human, that's not how you get it. You don't. It's not administered orally. <laughs> well, also the idea that you know you've got to like mush the entire person down. Well, you, it's much easier methods. You could just extract it from their glands. You know, I mean, just like it's kind of a yeah. I mean, it's just done for or shock cult- effect. Culture it in in non human animals the way we do here on Earth. Yeah, yeah, but they wanted to have this shocking, you know, depersonalization, yeah. dehumanization thing. Um, so they, uh, so the, the so what what are the big themes in this one to me are uh, the big one is the idea of identity. Who you know, who am I? Who are we? 
that sort of idea. And the doctor has this revelation at one point where he says, the reason I chose this face, and it's sort of um, retconning why Peter Capaldi was also a Roman in the 10th Doctor's time, uh, escaping from Pompeii, uh, as well as the 12th Doctor. And so the whole idea of why do I share this face and he kind of goes to this point well because because it was a reminder to myself to always just save somebody the whole the thing that donna you know came to him with was you know just save one save anybody yeah you don't have to save everybody but save somebody right right and so it was sort of the 10th doctor's you know implanted this in his in his own mind this idea of to remember to at least save somebody and that's what motivates him to go run and save a shilder which is kind of interesting that i mean if the meyer first aid kits were there they could have used that for like i'm not sure why that was such a big deal for him to to use this thing like oh yeah we have this technology that the meyer left behind that could save somebody who Got hurt or died. Well, so part of, they don't fully pull the reveal on this in this episode, but I mean, he is, he, they do mention it that the doctor thinks that by using the Meyer kit, he's made her functionally immortal, and that could create a tsunami in time. That's one of the things we do that is set up early on is as time travelers, we tread light. We, we don't try to set, we, it's okay to make little waves and ripples, but we don't want to make tsunamis in time. And right. by creating an immortal human being, he may have done that. And so that's part of why he has the big speech before he uses the Meyer first aid kit, which is really, a, it's a little chip. He puts it on her forehead and it merges into her. That if anybody, he's talking to the Time Lords, he says, if anybody's listening to me, you can go to hell. Because I'm right. going to do, I'm going to do this, and what he's doing there is he's accepting the risk of creating a time tsunami. Right, right. And in fact, early in the episode, when he first sees a shoulder, when he and Clara are brought to the to the uh, village, he does have this sort of premonition about her. He, or as he calls it, remembering her in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. which is a apparently a time lord, uh, you know, uh, occupational hazard, where. He's he sees her and and recognizes her as a significant person in his life. That's for, in the future, probably, which she will be. And that's obviously. his explanation for what um, for premonitions, right? But it, it all of this this character, you know, she has she's there, but other than causing an early problem where she brings the wrath of the mire down on her own village, she's not really playing a significant role until very late in the story. And then all of a sudden we get a bunch of narrated characteristics about her to talk about her identity as well, about how she's always felt different. And as soon as they say that, it's like, here we go again with the (laughs) I've always felt different thing in modern movies and tv and you know the she the girls thought she was a boy and the boys thought she was a girl and she's always been different and she's always known that but at least here she's loved and blah blah blah. it's like paint by numbers dialogue and characterization how many times have i seen this in other contexts right exactly yeah that that is 
I mean, you see that all the time, especially in modern who is this idea of like, you know, I, I don't fit in. Who am I? And, uh, the 13th doctor, it was a particularly egregious because it ended up being so sappy all the time because she would gush over them. At least with the 12th mm-hmm. doctor, he doesn't gush. Uh, and yeah, and I he, do like the way though that he has yeah. confidence in Clara now because yeah. when she first gets back from the mire, he's like, oh, yeah, I looked them up, and it says they're very efficient, and they do their thing and move on, so I assume you've convinced them to move on. <laughs> right, and he just right. has trust that she's taken care of it, and she would have if it hadn't been for a shoulder messing it up. She totally would have solved the problem at that moment. Um, the uh, yeah, In fact, she, earlier she complains that the doctor is always talking about what he can and can't do, but has never explained the rules to her, which is a bit of a writing premonition of, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the dilemma that he'll face at the end. Um, but also it's a bit of a, a foretaste of uh, face the Raven when mm-hmm. she has to, you know, when the rules apply to her, when there's a thing he can't do and we break we break the rules for her. Um, so it's kind of an interesting line that's kind of loaded with future meaning, which you don't understand until it's fulfilled in later episodes. I think it's something they're building towards though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the doctor does make a crack against religion again, uh, where when fake Odin shows up, he kind of says, which it was funny that he tried to pretend to be Odin. And then, the you know the money python esque Odin it, in the cloud. <laughs> yeah, it's apparently not against the doctor's programming to impersonate a deity, <laughs> right? Uh, but he does make a crack against religion. You know, what's the one thing the gods never do? Gods never show up. You know, which and that's just betrays a modern sensibility of the writer because if you read ancient literature, they were gods were showing up all the time. People were used to that. Right, you know, I mean, it wasn't considered this never happens. Right, I mean, they would have read, they would have heard stories that you know Odin showed up in the next village. Why they would have no reason to not believe that? I mean, so yeah. it, it would be an unconvincing argument. We also have some religion slaps from um, from false Odin, who, when Clara and Ashilda are talking to him, and Clara points out he's a false deity as well. He says, "What is God? It's just the cattle's name for." their god or for their farmer for the for their farmer yeah um and what is heaven but the gilded door of the abattoir and it's like um okay dude i understand what where you're going there but there are answers to this kind of throwaway macho atheist quipping (laughs) right right it see it seems so very clever doesn't it but it it it's not <laughs> um you know one thing i did appreciate is that for once the stakes are small it's this yeah. one village it's not mm-hmm. the entire planet the entire universe or whatever so mm-hmm. they did they did kind of confine themselves to this village i mean there was a little bit of a you know we've brought the attention of this of the mire to earth and that's a bad thing and implying that maybe it'd be a problem for all of earth but really it's this village is the is what's what's at stake here mm-hmm. um I also like there's a line I, or a sequence of dialogue I particularly like when the doctor's trying to convince them to leave. And he, he, you know, after the guy has said, we has given his we are Viking speech, the doctor says, okay, so what are you going to do? Raise crops at them? And, <laughs> and one of the, one of the village men says, if necessary. <laughs> and, and another says, I think he was being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. That, that, I did laugh at that one. Um, 
you know, another bit of anachronism here is the uh, electric eels. Oh, I was going to say, you know where you know where electric eels come from? <laughs> South America. Yep. Okay. How do the maybe the Vikings got as far as Newfoundland, Canada, or maybe even down to Massachusetts or something? How do they have electric eels from the Amazon <laughs> basin? Those Vikings went everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that was just that was just one more history. They, they just didn't care. They didn't care. They didn't think anyone would notice, or maybe they would. They maybe their new fans do notice such things, but they didn't care. Um, as you as you often point out, un, under Stephen Moffat, it's science fantasy. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, science fairy tale. Yeah, yes. On the other hand, I do like they when they start to execute the plan. They're they the Myers show up and everybody's dancing in the barn, and it's like, oh, I I call stuff very similar to this at 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 private parties for beginners. I mean, they're doing elbow swings, they're doing two hand sachets, and um and that's about all they're doing is elbow <laughs> yeah. swings and two hand sachets and only the doctor and clara do the sachet everybody else is just doing elbow swings <laughs> and in a big line not even like along a circle but mm-hmm. just in a line so this is like one of the simplest dances i've ever seen and i would go a little more complex even for beginners yeah but but the Meyer come in and they said we agreed to meet for battle and the doctor said oh yeah we uh we we canceled that we thought we'd have a party instead join us in the party <laughs> <laughs> that should uh, confuse them for a bit yeah um i did also like the fact that when he did the video of them being afraid of the puppet you mm-hmm. know the first deep fake by the way uh mm-hmm. video um well it's actually the opposite of a deep fake it's He's recording what really happened. What they That's were true. seeing was the deep fake. That's true, and uh, but he put it overlaid it with the Yakety Sax. Yeah, <laughs> the music. I did. I did appreciate that. Or the Benny Hill theme, <laughs> as they call it in in England. That's right. Um, so the uh, it's like why? Yeah, there are also just little plot questions like why don't the Meyer just blast them from the sky instead of you know you know, instead of run away? And- well, I think they have this kind of dueling thing in their culture of we've mm. been personally challenged so we need to meet you on the same level not just and kick your butts on that level rather than nuke you from space right right yeah the honor there's like an honor thing going on here i noticed that we don't ever get an actual full-on view of what the mire actually looked like we sort of get this three-quarter from behind implication that the mire are kind of really ugly when odin drops his mask is well, all a mask we get that earlier but later during the battle they do show us when they oh. rip the helmet and they've got these kind of fish alien heads that's right that's right i forgot about that um like i must have been distracted well during that scene um so yes that's true we do get that that view of them i mean the and they're pretty pretty ugly from human standards so <laughs> uh the intimidating um so before oh. the Yep. Another little self-indulgent bit of writing they have is when the when they when the doctor is doing the reveal to False Odin, um, and he you know he he because now one of the things is all of the other Meyer are wearing helmets mm-hmm. that cover both of their eyes. False Odin has a mechanical eye patch that covers one of his eyes but not the other, so he can apparently see through his organic eye. 
And that apparently is why he can tell there's a there's a Viking puppet ship thing, dragon masthead ship puppet thing in front of him where the other Vikings can't. And so they're all seeing a dragon attacking them, which he's presumably seeing too through his mechanical eye. Um but he he also and that's why he's yelling to them to his companions telling them they're cowards and things like that because he's apparently perceiving part of what's really happening. Right. And then after when the doctors do in the reveal afterwards, he says, "You've just seen the world through the eyes of a storyteller." And I'm going, "Okay, made a fictional self-reference by the writers. Uh, yeah, writers yeah. are all powerful. They can tell us stories that do amazing things to us." Okay, <laughs> yeah. when have I heard that before? It's like <laughs> this is another cliched writing trope. When writers extol themselves, yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah, that is a bit much uh before the battle a shielder tells has this conversation i think with the doctor where she says you know she has nowhere to go like with this village this place is her identity which it's a and then the doctor swears that she, you'll never have to leave it which is that foreshadowing of the big the big problem that she, in fact the exact opposite is going to happen she mm-hmm. will have to leave and she will lose her identity that's an interesting mm-hmm. thing that comes um uh, and and the doctor once again makes a promise he can't keep, which is uh, often a problem with the doctor. Um, I also was kind of, you know, putting myself in the doctor's place when she makes that declaration about I can't leave here because this is my place. And at least I'm accepted here. And it's like, okay, how did you get accepted here? Well, <laughs> I was born here. Okay, so you showed up here and they accepted you. Maybe you could try that elsewhere. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, why does the Meyer helmet kill a shelter? I'm not sure. I it, picked the that doctor up. says it drains her like a battery, and, okay. and but there's a, that's just his after the fact explanation that it used her up like a battery, and and okay, if you want to just kill somebody, I guess that's an okay after the fact explanation as any, but you should have set it up ahead of time, right? She yeah, should have known the dangers of putting that thing on. You can take care of that in a couple of lines of dialogue. You, and you, you create some extra drama there where yeah. you're like, she, she's willing to take the risk and make the sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't even bother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- he, when he ke- heals her, gives her the, the Meyer first aid kit, which is going to make her functionally immortal, um, he also gives her a second dose mm-hmm. and says – this is for someone she, who she wants. Whoever she chooses. Right. Because as he knows, when you're immortal, you know, everyone you love eventually dies. So, mm-hmm. and in fact, he says Im- Im- immortality isn't living forever. It's watching everyone else die all the time. Um, yeah, except that's not true um, for, I mean, for him, because for him, he's from yeah. Gallifrey. Yeah. Every, all the Time Lords on Gallifrey are the same as him. He he's lived for a couple thousand years, but so have all of his friends. It's only by leaving Gallifrey that you have to watch people die. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, and certainly, she's going. Well, I want to watch in the next one because I don't remember mm-hmm. uh, the first time I watched it why she never uses the second dose. Or I believe she does. Does she? Yeah, okay. she she meets someone. Okay. 
We should have saved saved that for Clara. Um, so. I, well, I was wondering. It's like if I'm Clara and that end scene, and he's explaining. I think I may have made her immortal. She wants to be the doctor now. Yeah, it's like, can I get one of those too? Did you think about doing that for someone who's your actual companion? Right, right. Well, maybe the doctor recognizes how bad that could be because you know we'll find out the human brain isn't designed to hold those many memories and some other nonsense that they that they're going to peddle at us. But um, I could see him kind of thinking that, but they never say it. Like it doesn't. They don't say it in here or there. Um, he does say that one day he will run from Clara's eyes because the memory of so much pain of losing people will make it hurt so much. Which is setting up his forgetting her. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's what we'll get at the end of this season. Um, and then we also get the payoff of the uh, the hybrid prophecy mm-hmm. uh, that we that got set up earlier, where he realizes that a shielder is now a human alien hybrid. Right. And of two warrior races, humans and Meyer. Right. Um, so where did they set up the Meyer prophecy earlier? Because I the, don't hybrid recall prophecy? it. Yeah. I mean, I know when they pay it off, but when do they set it up? Because I don't remember it. When I first watched this series, when it was coming out, after a certain number of weeks, people it seemed like fans were just noticing mentions of hybrids in the show. And and they but there wasn't a up front there is this ancient Gallifreyan prophecy of a hybrid I, that I will th- I thought that was in the first uh episode of the season, but I'm gonna have to If it uh, was, I don't remember it and I don't remember it from when it was on the air. Um, cause it seemed to me that it was just a slow rolling collection of references to hybrids that fans eventually twigged to. And then they may, they told us the prophecy at the end of the series, right before they paid it off. Right. So this says, um, according to the TARDIS wiki, Darvos attempted to transform some of his Daleks oh. into Time Lord hybrids. Right. Intending That's to right. fulfill an ancient Gallifreyan prophecy. That's right. Okay. I remember that now. Right. So that, and that was in the, the Witch's Familiar. So um, it didn't strike me as this. This is our season arc, though. It was so. I, I think that's why I didn't. Right. I, I I wasn't tracking it during the course of the series because it seemed like a one-off line from Davros and not something they were setting up a season arc. It wasn't like the cracks in time or anything like that. It was more like it seemed to me more like Bad Wolf. Right. Where it got introduced slowly and you didn't realize it was anything for a long time right and eventually i mean i don't know that they ever definitively say that a shoulder slash me is the hybrid because at some point they they also throw out the theory that maybe the doctor and clara together are a hybrid and that seems to have been stephen moffat's intention is to make it ambiguous yeah well not to not just to make it ambiguous but to make it more centered on the doctor i see i see yeah um all right, so that's all I think I have for this one. Uh, Jimmy, do you mm-hmm. have any other notes on this? No. Um, no, I think that's it. We, did, we didn't really talk about the opening sequence where the doctor, we joined the doctor and Clara in media res with mm-hmm. him finishing some dr- mission, a dr- dramatic moment that we don't know what the mission is, and Clara's in a spacesuit flying around with a something called a love sprite, which is apparently a kind of spider that sucks your brain out through your mouth in in her suit and it and we only it's interesting to see sort of the final moments of an adventure that we otherwise never see and we only hear them summarize it 
Um, but it's irrelevant to this episode. It's just thrown in there as a dramatic opening and filler. Right, right. There are a couple of funny lines in there where he's like, um, uh, you know, it's crawling up. She's like, it's halfway up my leg. Don't worry, it's just hungry. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is the problem. That is the central problem. And then he's, uh, you know, uh, can you uh, identify uh, a, a nebula sort of wing shade to big green at the end? Yes, yes, I can. Great. I've seen it, too. I wondered where that was. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not really relevant. He's just distracting her, obviously, from whatever's going well, on. Well, I think he's also, because he, he quizzes her about what she's seeing in terms of stars and nebula. Yeah, and he's really figuring out where she is so he can beam the TARDIS around her, right? And that's how he saves her. But he's not letting on that that's what he's doing. Yes, yes. Um, and then they, we did, we do get the classic uh, TARDIS separation because if the TARDIS had been in the village, that would have been a uh, an obvious solution is herd everybody into the TARDIS, go away for a while, uh, and you know the Meyer won't be able to uh, to battle them. But uh, so mm-hmm. we we separate them from the TARDIS for like. Quite Two distant. days away. Yeah, it was quite distant, for like for like England to Denmark or something. So, um, all right. So that is that. I think that's it for this episode. Um, we would like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Jacob H, Jody S, Sonia C, Regina C, and Brian B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of this 12th Doctor story, The Girl Who Died? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia, where you should subscribe and make sure to hit the bell to get notifications when a new episode shows up there. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Face of Evil. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. It's true, the evil one eats babies. (laughs) And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, a good death is the best anyone can hope for.